Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey guys. Okay, so last week I went over the hierarchy of sort of the band aids that we put on misbehavior, right? Because we have two things happening at once we have behavior that there's almost always an underlying cause, and then we have what can we do in the moment? Because when you're working on those big behaviors, you need that Band-Aid approach, right? And so I went over the hierarchy of that. And one of the things that I want to go back and revisit is what are the things underneath the behavior? So that is the more, you know, quote unquote, gentle parenting. That is the more conscious parenting technique is to figure out the behavior is a symptom, right? The behavior is the manifestation of something else that's going on. And we need to figure that out. And sometimes, you know, there's that meme, there's a reason everything happens. And sometimes the reason is I'm just a big fat fucking idiot or I'm a jerk or something like that. So sometimes the behavior is just your child figuring out how to be in the world. And that makes them a little twit, you know, that makes them uh, when they're trying to figure out their power, they can just be little jerks in the moment. Right. And that can and does happen. But largely speaking, there's a a lot that happens under the surface that we have to make sure we're addressing. Because if you're just putting Band-Aids on, if you're just attempting, you know, the go-to-your-room strategy or, you know, you're attempting co-regulation and it's not really working with your child, we have to dig underneath. And so I kind of wanted to run through the things. I've mentioned all of these in a podcast at some point or another, but I thought it would be a really good thing to have it sort of all in one spot for you again. And especially, you know, if you're new to Patreon and uh, the amount of information here can be a little daunting. So I wanted to lay this all out for you. So the very first thing we look at when a child is, you know, being reactive or when they're having a hard time is we really want to look for, are they hungry or tired? And I know that just seems so basic. And I've talked about this before, but it really you get like one or two free passes with this. Like, oh, she's just hungry. Oh, she's just really tired. But if you find yourself saying that over and over and over again, you got to fix it. It's not great to let your kid be hungry and tired and then try to, you know, excuse their behavior with that. And I I think I had mentioned this before. I had a friend that I had early on, you know, Pascal was little, they were like two years old and I had to divorce her because it was always, oh, he's just tired. He's just tired. And I was like, yeah, but you got to fix the sleep. And she, you know, she was like, oh, he just doesn't sleep. That's just who he is. And I'm like, 
Okay, no. There are people who don't sleep, but it doesn't affect their behavior, right? Like I have met people who need a freakishly low amount of sleep, but their behavior doesn't show. It's, you know, like me, if I'm asleep, I'm munchy, I'm bitchy. I, you know, I'm confused. I can't get anything done. Everything is like on an uphill battle. And so the people I know that need a freakishly low amount of sleep don't have that. They're, they function just fine. So I'm not going to like, I just think kids need tons of sleep and people will argue, oh, I have a night owl. I I don't, I disagree with that. But even if your child seems to not need a lot of sleep, if they're falling out the next day all the time, if they're having trouble, then they need more sleep and that needs to be addressed as a problem, whatever the problem might be. And, and there could be, you know, could be a lot of things. Hungry. I, you know, you just, you really want to, are they hungry? And I've mentioned this before too. You want to check like blood sugar. One of the things that happens, you know, both in my potty training and parenting work is the amount of fruit that kids are eating. Fruit is great. It's nature's candy. You know, it's a really, it's, it's a good thing to have, but kids should have about a cup to a cup and a half of fruit, which is not a lot if you measure it, okay? And I have kids who are eating fruit all day long, especially if they're eating something like pineapple or mango, super delicious, but those tropical fruits can really spike the blood sugar. So you can end up with like a lot of dips and valleys. So I would definitely watch that. And then of course, are they just hungry in general? And we know I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, especially if you have a picky eater, you know, going to three meals, less snacking, but always have an emergency stash because sometimes we just don't know, you know, we have, you might get a flat tire, you might uh, get caught somewhere in traffic, you know? So I think it really behooves us to have those snacks. And I, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm sure you guys have tons of snacks, but you want to make sure that hungry and tired are taken care of baseline. And I go back to this quote that my mom said when Pascal was little, and she said, sometimes I think parents just don't give their kids the chance to be their best selves. And that stuck with me. I I think it's like the basis of my work, really, because if we do the things to give them, they're already little whack jobs. They're just figuring stuff out. They're skin is inside out. They're sensitive. The neural pathways, their brains are exploding with growth. Their bodies are, you know, exploding with growth. And um, so we want to put everything in their corner for them to be their best selves. So I really think that hungry and tired can, (laughs) that's a lot. (laughs) Then the next thing we want to look at are their buckets full. So we know that there's emotion buckets There's attention buckets and there are power buckets, okay? And this is a simplification, of course, but it's just a really nice way to sort of give you a way to quantify, quote unquote, quality time. So when we look at attention buckets, that's often just like, have you been paying attention? And I say this often, you guys, everything we do is for our kids, right? Like literally everything we do is for our kids. And it's so funny because Pascal is, um, he left for a sleepaway camp on Saturday and it's remarkable. He's 15. He cooks his own food. He really is, uh, he manages his time a lot on his own and it's stunning to not have him in the house, even with him not needing me all that much. It is really stunning because there it's like a phantom limb. It's like our kids 
no matter what, we're always thinking about them and we're arranging our day. And even if we go to take some time by ourselves and it's luxurious self-care or brutal self-care, we still factor in, well, I only have an hour because of the kids, right? So our kids, our, our entire world tilts. What I just fed this a friend of mine had a baby and she put on Instagram, our gravity has forever tilted in their favor. And I like, I like that sentence. So it's oftentimes we think we're giving them attention, but it's that, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, good job. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're kind of uh-huhing them. Maybe we're on our phone. Maybe we're doing housework. Maybe we're just whatever doing, doing whatever adult things need to be done. So make sure that their attention bucket is full. And that really, uh, you can almost find attention bucket is empty if your child's going through the why phase. The why phase is almost always related to, I just want to talk to you, but I don't know, you know, they're three. They don't have a whole lot of conversational skills. They don't have a lot to talk about. They don't have a lot of uh, political opinions and they haven't read any fine literature. (laughs) So it's hard to get conversation going, but they want that back and forth. So if you remember what we do is we, you know, if they're going through the Y phase or they seem like they want to talk, you know, it might just be like, Hey, tell me about your favorite color today. Was it different than yesterday? Always go to favorites. Kids love talking about their favorite number, their favorite color, their favorite kind of bug. And it will get that attention bucket full. A lot of times it can be I call it a bouillon cube. If you can just give them that focused attention for a little while, it fills that bucket and it can go. Then you have their emotional bucket and their emotional bucket really can be filled with that sort of quality time. Most often it's playing with your child. And, you know, in the last couple of episodes, we've discussed that you don't have to play with the kids all day long, but you definitely want to make sure you're giving them these really concentrated amounts. And that looks like, you know, hey, I'll play Legos with you. And you can have boundaries around this. You can say, I I have 20 minutes. I want to give 20 minutes to you and you alone. I'm going to set my phone, but then I have to go back to work or whatever, you know, you have to get back to. And that will fill their emotion bucket. Now, the younger your child is, these buckets or gas tanks, however you want to visualize them, they're little. So they need to be filled more often, but less time. So if you have a two-year-old, it might look like quite a few 10-minute bouillon cubes, yeah? And then as your child gets older, it might look like 30 minutes twice a day or something like that. Now, I often get told, oh my God, he will just not let me go. The timer goes off or I do these like bouillon cubes of, of attention and it's just never enough. So never enough usually is an indicator. I would say 90% of the time, it's an indicator of that the child hasn't had enough. So they're kind of in this scarcity mindset. So I would just kind of plan on your calendar and just devote more time to that. Yeah. And try to do it a little more often during the day if you stay home or uh, a little bit longer if you're not, you're coming home from work and they're coming home from preschool. And usually, you know, if you do it every day and set the timer, your child will acclimate and they'll know it's coming. But a lot of times what happens is we give them these bouillon cubes and it's scattered. And so they go into this scarcity of like, I'm never going to get it again. Now, sometimes there is like an underlying diagnosis. Sometimes there is just that sort of niggly won't let you go behavior. We can't discount 
It's so funny. I don't remember life before the pandemic, but we can't discount just like all the shit that happened. And largely speaking, you guys, you have kids who were through the pandemic and it was such a huge portion of their lives. So don't forget about that. Like across the board, I'm hearing that parents got a little burnt out. Like, I don't know, for some reason last week, it really hit hard that things opened up and we all just jumped right the fuck back in. And like, I'm hearing across the board, just, I'm so, I'm so strung out. I booked too many things. I tried to do too much. So we just hit the ground running and our little ones just aren't catching up. So bear in mind that that has something to do with it. And so kind of like, you know, I talked about these buckets before the pandemic, but now after the pandemic, it's even, you know, we just have to factor that in, know that your kid might need you a little bit more, especially as we go into quote unquote, real life. What is real life anymore? It's so weird. It's like pre-pandemic, (laughs) post-pandemic. And then their power bucket. So, you know, if you have a kid, especially the, you know, generally speaking, the kid who's like contentious, maybe oppositional, maybe a little bit of pain in the ass, that kid is looking for power. And you can look, one of the signs that their power bucket isn't full is when the child starts dictating what the adults in the house can do. And you guys know that is one of my biggest it's, it's a pet peeve, but it's also just such a red flag. So your child does not get to dictate where any of the, the adults sit, how they eat, where they go, what room they can be in. And as soon as they start doing that, you can't give into that because you'll set up tyrannical behavior. It gets super crazy. It gets out of control very, very quickly. And it's a red flag. The thing underneath that behavior is that your child's looking for power. Toddlers are hardwired for power. I I think it's a primal instinct when you're that little and vulnerable. Our kids wouldn't last a a night out in the wilderness. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, we might not either. But when you're that small and vulnerable, I think that you are hardwired to want to control things around you. And I think also they're just... I use these words all the time. They're just so new. It's like, let let me try to control everything around me. Look, I would love to control every single person. I got opinions about everybody and I would love to control everything. But I know at my ripe age of 53 that I can't and I have to let go of certain things. They don't know that. So they're like, give me the control, give me the control. And as soon as we give them that control, man, they're going to take it. So you don't want that to start to escalate, but also you want to say, okay, well, how can I fix this by giving your child more control? So look throughout the day, what are the things that can fill their power bucket? What gives them some control? And in my book, Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, I really think of this as a wand. It's like a magic wand and it's never just on the table. It's never just floating around. This wand is always in someone's hand. It should be in your hand 90% of the time, this power wand, because you're older, you understand more, you your prefrontal cortex is all set, you know? So you should be in control with the power dynamic. Again, not authoritarian, but but the power of like, I know better, so we're going to do this you know, my way. What one of those things? I know that children who aren't buckled into their car seat are at risk of being killed in a car accident. I know better. I have the power in this situation. I'm not relenting. You're going to buckle your car seat. So that's what I mean by power. Not again, like authoritarian, like just come down arbitrarily. So you do want to give it to your child that other 10% of the time. You want to consciously think like, 
here, I am letting you choose here. Here's the wand. What would you like to be in charge of? And so whatever, and that's going to vary widely depending on your circumstance, um, how your household is set up, your household culture. Like for me, I unschooled. So there was like, there was always a little bit more power for him and choice, but also bear in mind, one kid, single parent, no spouse to contend with. So like that I have things different than most of you. So it's just going to, it's going to, it's going to vary widely. Just know that, but that might look like choosing, having them set the table by themselves. They can choose whatever plates they want. They can choose if everybody's going to eat in bowls tonight, that's something real easy. They can choose maybe for lunch, what they want given, you know, offer limited choices, of course, uh, choose their clothes. If it's not contentious, I know for some kids, it's debilitating to choose their own clothes. They might choose the game you're going to play when you guys are using connection points and, and those bullion cubes of, of the emotional bucket, right? So find those areas. And it's, it's tricky because a lot of times, again, we go through our day and we're like, no, 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 don't touch that. No, 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 no. And so we want to make sure that power bucket is full. All right. Next thing that we want to address, have your children, has your child gotten big play? And I'm, I've been going over this. I did a whole series on Instagram. I did a lot of talk about this in the podcast, but it really warrants again, because there's quite a few parents who are just sort of falling off and thinking that running around is big play. Running around is awesome. Tiring out your child is awesome. And I can even see this with Maverick because I take him in the morning I take him for like a four or five mile run, right? He's running. It's good for him. That's awesome. Now in the afternoon, Pascal plays with him in this, like, really, it's like they're two dogs. It, it almost looks a little scary to me, but they, it's like they're wrestling and he, they're playing, you know, taking things out of each other's hands and mouths. It's just, it's really fun. And it's a different kind of play. And Pascal's only been gone since Saturday and man, Maverick is dying for this kind of play. So I guess I'm gonna have to dive into that today and play with him that way. But anyway, it's not just legs. It's not just running. That is wonderful. So if your kid's in soccer or they went to the playground and they're just running around and they're exhausted, awesome. But that's still not big play. Big play has to do with proprioception and vestibular movement. So that's like where your body is in time and space. So there's spinning, somersaults, rolling, twirling, wheelbarrow, where you grab the child's ankles and their arms are like they're walking on their hands, crab walk, climbing over things, climbing over things that they didn't think they could climb over, climbing up on stone walls, jumping off. So think of like the body moving a lot in time and space. And that is what your child needs. And if you haven't had that, and, you know, obviously there are, there are situations, you know, you could have a blizzard or you could have a, you know, a rainy day and you just don't feel like going out. Those things happen, but be cautious that your child gets this as often as they can. And it should be daily. And even if there is a rainy day, even if there is a blizzard, I really encourage you to get the right gear. And I, we did an episode closer to Christmas, the no crap gift guide and how to, you know, buying gear, you can get second hand gear. I know that like outfitting kids for weather isn't always the cheapest option, but do your best. Even if it's summer right now, like you could be out in the rain, you don't need a raincoat, put your bathing suit on. So don't let weather be a deterrent. Kids love, it's really good for them to be out in the elements and they love it. And 
it's so worth it to get that big play because you get better behavior. You know what I mean? So it's so much better to factor this in and be like, I know, like, especially if both parents work outside the home, you get home, you're exhausted. Dinner's got to get on the table. Dude, have a tuna fish sandwich and get out there. You know what I mean? I would much rather sacrifice like this, like sit down dinner when you get home and get your child outside in the elements. And that's like this really great, quality time with your kid and you're going to have a better night because of it. So I I have parents all the time who are like, well, I don't really have time for that. And I was like, really? Because you're spending three hours dealing with your kid's shitty behavior. Is that better? Like, let's build in all these tools that I know feel like daunting. It can be like, oh my God, so I have to I have to have two 20-minute bouillon cube sessions of connection to fill their emotional bucket. I have to have conversation, you know, X amount of times. And it can feel like a lot of work at first. But if you think about the time you're giving to crappy behavior, it's just better to do the bigger thing first. Let's talk about the kid who is really, really, really um, maybe angry, showing anger, spitting at you you know, yelling at you, uh, saying mean things. You know, I know we had a question about a, a, a little girl who was just like berating her mother with a, a, how, what a terrible mom she was. Those kids, there there seems to be a bubbling anger. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, don't really try not to judge any emotion because our kids are like these conduits for emotions. Like you and I attach anger to as a different thing because we have our, our grown up filter. But for kids, it's just like they're, they're powerhouses of oh, what a, it's almost like an electrical current. It's like anger, sad, you know, and they get over it really quick. And I know for me, anger is a different kind of touch point in my own personal work, but sadness, I tell people all the time, I am a, just a crier. Like you have to deal with it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate anybody. I cry at the drop of a hat, but then I am done. And I will be like, ah, I'm all hysterical. And then I'm clean. So, and I've learned just throughout the years that if I bottle that up, bad things happen to me, to you, to everybody involved. So I've really learned to let it flow. Anger I'm working on, but that's a little more stuck than the sadness. But remember our kids, if we can let these things just flow out of them, they happen faster. So one of the things, and of course, you don't want to do this in hot moments. This is something that takes time. You have to establish it so that then the child can know and start to feel things before they get that anger. So two really good strategies is to have a corner of your house, living room, playroom, bedroom, wherever that is the child's anger corner, throwing corner, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Emotion corner. Cause it could be used for sadness. You want to put pillows, beanies, stuffed animals, anything soft that can be chucked into this corner. And when the child feels bubbling anger, you can go to the anger corner and you can get that emotion out by throwing things. When they throw things, it should be accompanied by vocal expenditure. So ah, I'm so mad. I hate you. It should be accompanied by that because vocal expenditure is an energy too. And the child just may need to get that out. Okay. So if you just think of these as electrical charges, it just energy that we want out somewhere. So you don't put a cap on it because largely when you have this kind of kid, parents are really invested in strategies to shut down the behavior and it just gets backed up. I mean, you know that I know that. So 
we want to give them outlets for it. Okay. I have had parents. uh, I had one dad super resist this. He was like, well, I don't want to teach him to throw things when he's angry. We're not teaching him to throw things when he's angry. We're letting the current, the reason why an adult might throw something when they're angry is not because it's a coping strategy, but because it's pent up. So what we're teaching your child is to let the emotion flow through them very quickly. And that will translate. It doesn't translate into them throwing things as an adult. If you start throwing that best friend that I had divorced during the pandemic, like our big breakup, like she would throw things at her kids. And I was like, well, dude, you got anger issues. And she'd be like, you know, oh, I'm Italian. This is how we express anger. And I was like, no, that's not how grownups express anger. So it was pent up though. I could, you could see that it was pent up emotion, anger that she hadn't ever been allowed to express. So we're not teaching the top child to throw. We're teaching them get the emotion out. And that's what the vocal expenditure is about too. And it's also really great. Again, this takes... It takes some finagling because you have to establish it and then you have to start figuring out with your child, naming their sort of anger, naming these meltdowns, naming these events. And so I had one little guy who called it his, his, his monster. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, you know, and he could, but then he could vocalize and he could say, mommy, oh, the monster's coming. I can feel him. And they would go to the throwing corner and they would get that anger out. And it was so great because it was like six minutes. And then the kid was done and happy and self-regulated and can move on. On a similar note is a burrito. So this is a compression is really good for kids. Why do we give hugs, right? We give hugs because they feel good. They activate the parasympathetic nervous system. They really help regulate the nervous system in general. So compression is awesome. So a burrito is when you take a a blanket and the child lays down with their head out, of course, and you roll them up and then you give like full body kind of, not massage, but like a rub down or full body hug from you. And the compression from the blanket and from you can really just settle them down. And so that is an awesome trick for the kid who just like, it's almost like they can't help themselves. They go and they swat their younger sibling. Like I, I was working with this little boy, like just walking through the house, like a cat, like knocking shit off counters, poking that poking niggly, nudgy behavior. Right. So the burrito can really help. And like the throwing corner, it's something you have to establish. And then you have to have the child start to recognize where they're feeling the anger. So let's take a minute and, and review that. The best gift you can give your kid is like this emotional wisdom, right? To feel like, think of the work we do as adults, like, cause we didn't have this largely when we were kids, right? We were just told to shut up or stop crying or, you know, it was capped somehow it was squashed. And so when you can feel a big emotion coming on, the very first thing to do, particularly with anger or these sort of more quote unquote dangerous emotions, right? That could make you fly off the handle. That could make you potentially do something dangerous, right? We want to start to feel where it is in the body. And this goes for you, the parents in learning your own regulation. But of course, if we can teach this to the child, it's such an amazing gift. Where do you feel it in your body? If we can get them From zero to 60. So if you have a kid who goes zero to 60, and again, if you go zero to 60, the biggest thing you need to do is figure out how to slow that down. Can you figure out where zero to 10 is, where zero to 20 is, where 20 to 30 is? Once you can slow that down, you have a handle on the emotion. You have a handle on your reaction. So when we can teach this to our kids, like, you know, 
And again, it's not, don't, don't attempt to do this while your kid's in the midst of it. Do this later when everything's come. Like, hey, when you have those angers, you know, when you get that angry, when you have an outburst, whatever you want to name it, you know, let's, let's talk about where you feel that. And obviously the older your child is, this is going to get better and better. But I've seen it work with like two and a half, three-year-olds too. They're not as articulate, but they get the idea and they can feel it coming on. And then they can say, I had this one little guy. He was so cute to be like, mommy, burrito. And so she'd run with a blanket and totally calm him. And it was amazing. So those are two excellent strategies. One of the things I know that is being touted is a calm corner. And again, this is a review, but a calm corner. One thing we want to do with our kids as they're growing up is make sure they know that no emotion is wrong. The expression of the emotion can result in big in misbehavior. Yeah. The expression of anger that is pent up can look like misbehavior. Anger in and of itself is not a bad emotion. It's a warning sign. Something's up. Something's happening. Frustration, resentment, boundaries. Something's happening. Okay. Sadness is not bad. Grief any emotion is not bad. Okay. It's the expression, an expression that's not rooted in letting it just go. That's what we judge as bad. One thing I don't like about the calm corner is it's trying to like push aside the bigger, uglier emotion and it's quantifying emotions and saying, well, calm is better. Now, calm will make your day go smoother for sure, but it's unrealistic that a child is going to be calm. So we want to learn how to deal with the emotions. We want to learn how to help our child let the emotion just go through the body and and be gone, right? So we don't want to quantify that calm is better than anger. Oh, you're angry. Here, let's go to the calm corner because what you say is don't be angry, calm yourself down. Yes, we want to teach the tools of regulation, self-regulation, co-regulation. We want to teach that, but we don't want to squash other emotions down. And we definitely, at a three or four-year-old, we don't want to start quantifying emotions as better or worse, okay? So, So keep that in mind. I also... My problem with a calm corner is that usually it's furnished by the adult who has a vision of what the calm corner will look like. So I've seen parents have like emotion charts, you know, with the faces and specific books that are calming. There might be calming music and, but that's your interpretation of what the child might need to be calm. Some people get calm listening to ACDC, you know what I mean? So it's not like... It's too much. And that's basically our kids' world is us trying to tell them what they need when that may not be what they need. And lastly, when we look at kind of what's underneath behavior, I cannot say this enough. Food, 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 food. Allergies, sensitivities, blood sugar. Look at your child's diet. It's the most basic place to start. And I've seen miraculous changes. Okay. So again, if you, if you know, especially if you're like, well, I know they eat like shit and I know it's all carbs and I know it's all like chicken nuggets and fish sticks or, you know, processed food like that. Be willing to do the hard work behind figuring out food because it's really just the most basic fix you can do. And like I had talked about with the fruit, sometimes there's just blood sugar issues. 
Sometimes it's an allergy. Sometimes it's even deeper. There's so many things that can be behind behind behavior that's food related. And literally, I've just seen kids like turn around, like parents are like, oh my God, I have a different kid after addressing a food sensitivity. So I know it's a hard age. I know crappy food is so easy. I know it's hard convenience and we're stressed and we're busy, but it it, it is worth it if you're seeing consistently, you know, really trying behavior out of your child. All right. So that is the hierarchy of, you know, the underneath things. If you have anything to add, if I've forgotten something or you have strategies that work for yourself, please share. I love when people comment on Patreon with other things that work for them. It's awesome. I was listening to a podcast. I wanted to share this like fun little fact with you guys because I thought this would be I just thought it was so interesting regarding brains. There was this neurologist on a podcast I was listening to and he said men's brains. So this is like having to do with oftentimes we're trying to communicate with the opposite sex and it's just like, oh my God, it's so hard, right? And I'm working, I'm always working with parents and I'm working with moms who expect their husbands to think a certain way or why aren't they responding or why aren't they processing information as fast as me? And I work with dads who are like, holy shit, all she does is talk at me and I can't get a word in edgewise. In my opinion, doesn't matter. And so a lot of times when I'm working on parenting stuff, I'm working on communication between men and women. So anyway, this neurologist said men's brains are bigger. Women's brains are about two thirds the size of men's, which I thought was really interesting. But what that means is that the circuitry in men's brains is slower. And in women's, it's like lightning speed. And again, there's no judgment. Those words sound pejorative, but they're not. So what happens is women process faster and it really explains how we can think, you know, that meme that goes around that, like I have 1700 browsers open and (laughs) women do, we have 1700 browsers open and we know what's going on in every one of them. And men just generally think more linear, but this neurologist was saying, it's so funny that men you know, like they're problem solvers by nature, you know, and again, these are huge generalizations, but I have found this to be true, like that our men generally just are like, I want this fixed. Like, let's fix it. If you have a problem, let's fix it. Let's get the hammer. And it's like, they don't always realize that the hammer is not the right tool for the job, but they're solution oriented. So they're like, a hammer has always worked in the past. I'm going to go get the hammer. And then women are like, well, Actually, the problem is in a china shop here. So we don't actually need a hammer. We might need a a finer tuned object. And the women can sort of forecast and say, well, if we use a hammer in a china shop, chances are we're going to break the china. And then the men go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go get the other tool. And so I just thought that was a really interesting way because I do know that a lot of times you know, when, when couples are going into therapy or trying to improve on their communication, women get very frustrated that men aren't processing the emotions fast enough and aren't processing the like, well, can't he see that is going to happen? And sometimes, no, they can't. And it's not a default. I mean, it's not a, a fault of theirs. It's not a negative. It's literally just different circuitry in the brain. And so I thought you guys would find that interesting. All right. On that note, I am going to log off for today. As always, I just 
love, 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 love your feedback, your questions. I love the dialogues that are happening on Patreon. And I am super grateful for you, my patrons and your patronage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rock on and have an awesome day. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.